my brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, came forward and put this question to Jesus, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, if someone's brother dies, leaving a wife but no child, his brother must take the wife and raise up descendants for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first married a woman but died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And likewise, all the seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. Now at the resurrection, whose wife will that woman be? For all seven had been married to her. Jesus said to them, the children of this age marry and remarry, but those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. They can no longer die, for they are like the angels, and they are the children of God, because they are the ones who will rise. That the dead will rise, even Moses made known in the passage about the bush when he called out, Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and he's not God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Probably some of the funniest moments that priests have is in our dealings with little kids. When I was first ordained and, and sent to a parish, this little guy that was at Mass every week, he used to love making pictures, and he was really observant for a five-year-old. And he came up running after Mass on Sunday, all proud to give me a picture that he had drawn of me that looked like something a little kid would draw, somewhat stick figures, a little bit out of proportion. I think he made me draw a little bit larger than a tree. But the one thing that stood out was that everything was in black crayon, the flowers, the trees, the sun. So I thanked the little guy for his creation and just asked, why is everything in black? I mean, not to be critical, but I was curious, is the kid severely depressed? Did his parents not have another crayon to give him? You know, and just immediately he answered, well, that's your favorite color. And I said, really, what makes you say that? And he said, well, because that's what you wear every day. These little kids can be even funnier when you give them a, their understanding of, of religion. A priest friend of mine told me that he had a little kid come in for first penance, and the kid said to him that he had committed adultery. The priest said, I don't think you did. And he was insistent, no, Father, I did. I committed adultery. So now my friend's trying not to laugh because not only was he contrite, he was getting frustrated that he wasn't appearing to be believed. So my friend finally said to him, what do you think adultery is? He said, when you don't listen to adults. 
those stories came to mind reading this uh, a story about kids' responses to the questions, what does heaven look like? For Danielle, age seven, she had a very simple concept of it. She said, I will have my own room and I will not have to share it with my brother. No doubt this little guy named Sam, age five, had heard gospel passages talking about the eternal banquet as he explained, in heaven, everyone gets a lot of food. And then Michael, age six, took that metaphor a little bit further. He said, well, my house will be made out of Reese's peanut butter cups and filled with chocolate. Kristen, who is age nine, believes that in God's room there are TVs so he can see that what we're doing all day long. We can laugh and smile at their somewhat simplistic but cute ideas and hear their logic. But it's a great question. What is heaven like? And kids aren't the only ones who project some earthly joys, some desires and pleasures in the life to come. There's been more than a few funerals that I've been to where people talk about their father now being able to play golf every day and every day the weather is perfect and the course is perfect and of course he gets a perfect score. Or their mom now being able to spend eternity shopping and not having to worry about the prices or not having enough cash and always getting a good parking spot. I was at one funeral and there was a flower arrangement in the, the design of a slot machine and had cherries in every one of the windows. So for them, it was the ultimate of jackpots. We even talk about eternal banquet imagery, thinking that we can eat and drink whatever we want without ever concern of putting on any weight. Those ideas all appeal to that every earthly desire that we have, that we'd like to see maximized. And so it's understandable that our concept of eternal bliss, eternal paradise would go in those different directions. In today's gospel, we hear how this religious group called the Sadducees are asking Jesus, what is heaven like? But they're not asking out of curiosity to learn Jesus' teaching. Instead, they confront Jesus with this very peculiar example that sounds almost like a a storyline that you might find in General Hospital rather than a genuine theological question. Just to recap, A man and woman get married, the guy has seven brothers, the husband dies, they have no kids. So the woman marries brother number two, he dies, no kids again. Same with brothers three, four, five, six, and seven. The Sadducees ask at the resurrection, who's her husband? Now, if I was Jesus hearing the story, I would try to answer the question with a question. For example, how crazy was brother three through seven to see what happened to the first two guys and think that anything happening with this lady is going to turn out differently for them. The story, though, and the example was intentionally absurd because the Sadducees are mocking Jesus because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead or in the afterlife. So they're pointing out to Jesus that the woman and these seven brothers were fulfilling the law of Moses that allowed for a brother to marry a widow who had had no children so that the family line would be able to continue. Which makes sense. Since they didn't believe in the resurrection, it was somehow essential to, to carry on the family line, to carry on the family name and the family legacy. So that's why the brothers were trying to pick up where the previous brother had failed. They're using this extreme example to say to Jesus, 
If you're saying there's an afterlife and there's a resurrection, then wouldn't the law of Moses be wrong for allowing this? So they're trying to, to trap Jesus and claim he's a heretic because there's no way any Jew would say that the law of Moses is wrong about anything. Well, Jesus' answer doesn't quite answer their hypothetical, not because he's trying to dodge the question, but in a sense he can't. Jesus is revealing that the afterlife isn't simply an extension of this life. He's telling us not to look at heaven as an endless extension of days, but rather a new life beyond our expectations, beyond our imaginations, beyond whatever concepts we can even conceive of. St. Paul puts it, what eye has not seen and ear has not heard and what has not entered the human heart is what God has prepared for those who love him. It's similar to what life is like for an unborn child in their mother's womb. They could not conceive of what life is going to be like once they're born. They're connected to their family in biological and emotional and spiritual ways, but they can't even begin to comprehend what life will be, how it's going to be changed after they're born. As we smile at the innocence of children's responses to serious questions about what heaven is like, the beautiful thing you hear in all those answers is that there's an undercurrent of definitive trust. The kids might have some concepts that are limited, but they have a pure and innocent belief that God truly loves them and desires their absolute happiness. And we can laugh because to them, their expectations of happiness are houses made out of Reese's peanut butter cups or their absence of having to share their brother's room. For us, as grown-ups, we have much bigger hopes and dreams that come to mind when we think of what will bring us ultimate happiness. We carry greater expectations, including desires of, of wholeness in the place of brokenness healing to pain, fulfillment and intimacy and communion. And while we continue to try to imagine what and how that's going to look like, Jesus tries to get us to kind of move our vision from earthly concepts and rather keep looking to him, listening to him who came from there, who lived among us and died for us to bring us to that place, for us to simply focus on Jesus and to trust in him and to live for him. To not be limited by this world and its pleasures, but look to the kingdom of come, where we'll find the promises fulfilled of our God, who is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for in him all are alive.